Well, good morning. So far, everything is going just according to script. <laughs> Praise the Lord for that. <laughs> Thank the Lord that we are not slaves to a script. Thank him for being present with us. Well, go ahead and open your Bible, if you have it, to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 7 through 18. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one provided for you right there in the back of the pew in front of you, the smaller hardback uh, brown Bible there. And you'll find this on page 132 or 136. And uh, I'm, I'm thankful they've turned the uh, house lights up now because these, you know, y'all been overeating for three days now. And uh, we turned the lights down and get me up here preaching. You know, you might just start nodding off on me. So We'll uh, turn the lights up so I can keep an eye on you and you can see your Bible. That'll work out for us mutually. The title of the sermon this morning is Beware of Forgetfulness. You may have seen that on the cover of your uh, bulletin there. And that may sound like an alarming title. Uh, some of us have just decided we need to get comfortable with forgetfulness because it's just become a regular part of everyday life, right? You're always forgetting one thing or another. And uh, that may not be true of you, but uh, some of us might be able to relate to this little reflection of one man who talked about the aging process. He said, one of the most disturbing aspects of aging is the growing inability to recall vitally important information, such as the gross national product of Liberia, the Greek alphabet, and where you put your slippers. This affliction becomes particularly pronounced when you go upstairs to get something. And halfway up, you realize you have no inkling what you were going upstairs to fetch. And then you have to decide whether to go back downstairs and try to remember what you needed or to continue up to look for something that needs bringing down. And unable to decide, you resort to sitting on the landing and sulking only to discover that you've completely forgotten whether you were originally upstairs going down or downstairs going up. <laughs> so hopefully it's not quite gotten to that point for you, but forgetfulness uh, is familiar in that sense. And, um, and, and to some extent, we do have to sort of get comfortable with it. But there's another kind of forgetfulness I'm talking about today. And it has a different cause, and it is certainly no laughing matter. It's when we forget God, which sounds like, again, that may, that may sound like an absurd thing to say. How could you forget God? But it's exactly what the text of the sermon of this morning speaks to. And coming out of Thanksgiving and into Christmas, um, it's a good time to be cautioned in this way. Because have you considered the fact that we have a national holiday that we set aside, presumably to thank God for the blessings he's given us, and the very next day, we begin officially longing for things that we don't have? <laughs> Black Friday. I wonder how history is going to comment on the whole phenomenon of Black Friday. By the way, no shame on you. Uh, if you went out on Black Friday, I uh, find other things to do that day um, myself for, for other reasons. By the way, it's not a spirit, spiritual commitment on my part. It's just purely practical when I say who would want to go uh, mingle among crowds like that. 
But isn't that ironic that we, we, we literally one day thank God for the things he's given us and then begin making a list of our longings for things we don't have but we still want and we begin shopping for them the very next day. So it's good to be reminded after Thanksgiving and into the Christmas season not to forget God. We read about this in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 7 through 18. And let's look there now. And I'm going to ask you to stand, if you're able, in honor of the reading of God's Word. Deuteronomy 8, beginning in verse 7. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God, by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery." who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Let's pray together. Well, Lord, we're thankful, as we always are, to gather together in your presence to encounter you in ways personal and corporate, and then to open the scriptures to hear you speak to us. We are humbled by that. We marvel at that continuously. And Lord, you know, we open the scriptures with the belief that it is your word, that it's living and active. And we pray that, um, as the hymn writer said, Lord, that you would make the book live to me, O Lord. Show me yourself inside your word. Show me myself and show me my Savior and make the book live to me. So Lord, would you speak by your spirit, your word, through your servant to your people for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Deuteronomy was written and delivered on the banks of the Jordan River as the Israelites were about to come into the land of Canaan, the promised land. And they had actually been here before. It had been almost 40 years earlier. And they had refused to enter the land. You may remember this story where uh, having come out of Egypt, out of slavery, 
up to the Mount of Sinai, uh, receiving the Ten Commandments, that they, they came here to the, to the banks of the river and they sent spies into the land to spy it out before they occupied it. And the spies came back and the majority opinion was, yes, it's really good land full of really big and terrifying people. Let's don't go there right now. And they didn't. They refused to receive the promise that God had given them, refused to receive the provision he had made for them. And as a result, they ended up wandering in the wilderness for 38 more years. And now they were back. And Deuteronomy 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 2, says that from Sinai to this point where they're assembled now, it was 11 days journey. And it had taken 38 years to get there. An entire generation had died and now God was about to give the land to the next generation. And Moses was about to die himself. He would not occupy the land and he was told that because of his own distrust of God, his own rebellion, he was not going to enter the land. And so Deuteronomy is essentially Moses' parting words to the people of Israel. He knows he's not going with him But uh, as they get ready to enter the land and live as God's people, he gives them this book to tell them how they should live, how they should live as God's people in his land. Most of these people were born and raised in the wilderness. They had not actually lived through the exodus out of Egypt. They had not been in slavery then and, and experienced what it felt to be delivered from that. And they had not been there um, at the experience where Moses went up to receive those commandments on Sinai. And so Moses here gives the Ten Commandments for a second time. In fact, that's essentially where the title of the book comes from, the, the word Deuteronomy. In the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, uh, it was ascribed this title, and it comes from two Greek words that means second law. So the Ten Commandments are recorded in Exodus chapter 20. It's where most of us uh, remember or learned them from. It's recorded a second time here in the book of Deuteronomy. And so it's a second law for second chances for the people of Israel. And Moses tells them 34 times that this is the land that God is giving them. And maybe it's especially because they didn't live through some of those experiences that they have to be told uh, not to forget them. Let me remind you of the things you've heard about and be sure you don't forget them. And, And the central idea here in this passage we just read is that about not forgetting. And Uh, It's found there in verse 11, if you look back at it really quickly, so we can sort of frame out this whole message as we enter into it. But but, uh, verse 11 there says, take care lest you forget the Lord your God. Now that's something different than simply saying, remember the Lord your God. It's something different than even saying, don't forget the Lord your God. It is take care lest you forget the Lord your God. You know, one of the ways that we take care not to forget things in our own day is we write them down, right? 
I bet if I asked for a show of hands, it'd be the overwhelming majority of people who would say, uh, yeah, if you want me to remember it, I will have to write it down, right? So we put reminders into it. We, we use our phone for that, right? I remember the, um, just the milestone it was in my life, the life-changing experience it was to have a device I could hold in my pocket that would have appointments on it that would beep at me when I was supposed to be somewhere. What a great reminder that is, right? So you put it in your phone, you put it on your tablet or whatever. It can be an appointment on your calendar. It can be a, a task you're supposed to remember. But we get, we take care. I mean, think of the difference between if I said, hey, remember, uh, by the way, yeah, good to see you. Remember, we have that meeting on uh, December 6th at three o'clock. Versus if I said, um, sent an email out and said, if I'm the manager of a, of a company or whatever, said staff, uh, we're going to have a meeting at three o'clock on Wednesday afternoon, December 6th. Please arrange your schedule so that you can be in attendance. If you have any conflicts, do your best to reschedule them. Let me know if you're unable to. Please take a moment right now to put that on your calendar and send me a confirmation email to let me know you're going to be there. You see the difference between remember and take care not to forget this meeting. And so it's in a similar vein then. We're told here, take care that you don't forget the Lord your God. And we see at least three ways here we can take care not to forget the Lord. And the first is remind yourself of God's faithfulness in the past. Let's glance back at verses two through four. And we didn't read this as part of, our, uh, as part of the text that I published as the sermon text. But if we glance back at two, four, uh, verses two through four, we get a little bit of the context. And then we'll look at verses 14 through 16 as well. Beginning in verse two, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that the man, that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you and your foot did not swell these 40 years. So he says there uh, in, in verses, uh, verse three, I guess, really, he fed you with manna you did not know. The word manna literally means what is it? You may remember that when they first came out and saw manna on the ground, this bread from heaven, they go, what is it? And that became the name, the name of it. This manna, what is it? He, he fed you with bread you do not know, did not know in order to make you know that life is more than bread. That's kind of the implication of, of verse three. He, he let you hunger to feed you with bread that you did not know in order to make you know that there's more to life than bread. Man does not live by bread alone. He lives by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And then down in verses 14 through 16, we get a similar flashback here of what he's reminding them of in the past. Then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt 
out of the house of slavery who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water who brought you out of the who brought you water out of the flinty rock who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end so we need to remember the past and its challenges and difficulties and recall the ways that God took care of us. Now, some of you are pressed by challenges and difficulties right now. You don't have to remember 30 seconds from now because it's on your mind at the very moment. But some people may have had it so good for so long in some areas of life that you have to look way back in your past to recall time where circumstances were really difficult. So, so some people have done well financially, for instance, and it would be a lot, they would have to think way back in their past where things weren't really secure financially. And, and this is actually, whether it's financial or otherwise, that's really the kind of scenario we need to be maybe most mindful of in, in this passage is those things where we do have to think way back to remember because that's what we're being cautioned about, that when things get good for you, you're apt to forget. So remember God's faithfulness in the past. Be intentional about recalling those things, talking about them, and telling of God's faithfulness. As you read through the book of Deuteronomy, one of the phrases you'll see over and over is, tell them to your children. Both his commandments... And the things that he's done, tell them to your children so that they'll tell them to their children. Talk about them. Remind yourselves of them intentionally and tell of God's faithfulness. There are some practical ways that you can do this sort of thing. And one would be making memorials of some sort, visual memorials to have around your house. Something posted on the wall, it could be a printing, a printout of something, it could be even just a scripture that reminds you of this. Or even, I've, I've known of, of families that um, will have a, a little collection of Joshua stones. So it's sort of a, uh, a hearkening back to Joshua chapter 4, when uh, actually not long before the uh, reference Matt was making earlier, where they crossed the Jordan uh, river and into the land of promise and God has dried out the river for them to cross and he says uh, pick up a stone uh, one, one person from each tribe pick up a stone here we're going to make this memorial of 12 stones we're just going to stack them up here as a memorial to what he's done for us so that when your children ask hey what's this weird stack of rocks here <laughs> you can tell them the story so there are people who will do this and they'll just, they'll just find a rock and write a little scripture reference on it or some little word that reminds them of um, a personal testimony of God's faithfulness and provision in their family. Because, hey, do you know God is not simply a once upon a time God? Okay, we don't simply tell about things he did once upon a time long, long ago in the Old Testament to the people of Israel. But what has he done for you in your family, in your life? What can you recall and what can you tell your children about and your friends about and even strangers about of God's faithfulness in your life? Remind yourself of God's faithfulness in the past. That's one of the key ways to take care of 
not to forget him. Secondly, guard yourself against the pleasures of prosperity. Now, prosperity is a relative term, and some people um, think that compared to lots of other people, they're not very prosperous. Most of us, frankly, by international global standards, are, uh, are quite well off. But we're not going to bicker over that point today. But guard yourself against the pleasures of prosperity. Look again at verse 11, because it says, Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and rules and statutes. When I read this, at first, this is, it kind of strikes me as a peculiar thing to say. I might think, I might expect it to say, uh, take care that you not forget the Lord by not thanking him or not praising him or worshiping him or something like that. But it says, take care that you, unless you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments. In other words, that refusal or failure to keep the commandments of God is a sign we've forgotten him. And, and glance back up at verse 6 to see what, what it says there about keeping his commandments because it actually sort of explains what he's talking about there. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. Okay? So when he speaks of keeping his commandments, we're talking about walking in his ways. So, so the risk in verse 11, let's connect the dots here. The risk he's telling us, take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not walking in his ways and not fearing him. Because God wants lives that are entirely consecrated to him. You know, an annual feast of thanksgiving does not suffice as an expression of our thanks. And neither does a weekly worship assembly where we even maybe give a financial offering to that. That is not sufficient. He wants all of you all the time. He wants all of you living according to his ways. That's a life consecrated to God. It is a life that, that worships him with every step and every breath. And this is what he's calling the people of Israel to. He's giving them an, a land to be his people who live according to his ways and who bring him glory for it. We'll get to more of that in just a minute. But you know, the only reason that we don't walk according to his way is because we get more pleasure walk, walking according to our own ways. So I remind you, the point, the, the, the point here is guard yourself against the pleasures of prosperity. And the reason that we don't walk according to his ways is it's more pleasurable to walk according to our own ways. And it's the only reason why that would be true. I mean, you think about it, if you're going to lunch this afternoon after church, don't think about it too much right now, okay? But if you're going to lunch after church and, uh, and your spouse said, um, where, where do you, where do you want to go for lunch? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't really care. I don't, you know, whatever's fine. Okay, well, let's go to Rucker John's. Well, we'll find out whether you really care, right? Because if you, if you really mean, if you really mean, I, I don't really have a preference, then, then Rucker John's it is. And so, and so the point being, if God says, live this way, 
and we choose to, to walk a different way, it's because it does matter to us and we want to do it our way. We get more pleasure living our own way than living his way. Now, here's the, here's the thing about it. Abundance, prosperity offers that kind of pleasure. Now, remember, the, 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 the caution here is take care lest you forget. Not just remember, not just don't forget. Take care lest you forget. Abundance offers us this, this, this sort of pleasure uh, that stimulates what I'll just call carnal desires. And by that, I, I simply mean th- those things of our human nature, okay? So, so the things that, uh, where we eat, drink, and be merry. We've been doing that for a few days, still on leftovers, right? Eating and drinking and being merry. Th- those kinds of desires and beyond food, just whatever it is that appeal to our just human nature that's common to every human being, those are what I'm referring to as carnal Desires and abundance tends to stimulate those and then gratify them, but it never satisfies them. And let me explain the difference. I mean, gratify, if you, if you were to actually look up the definition of the words, gratify has to do with um, essentially providing some pleasure. Satisfying has to do with being enough. The, the root word of satisfy has to do with being enough or sufficient. So abundance will stimulate our, our desires and it will gratify them, but it will never satisfy them. Now you probably, I mean, many of us know this from personal experience if we've reflected it all on ourselves. But that's why many times the more we have to be thankful for the less thankful we become. It's, it's, a, it's an awful irony of the human condition. But very often, the more we have to be thankful for, the less thankful we actually become because, because the, this abundance is stimulating desires and gratifying desires that we continue to want more of, and yet they, they're never satisfied. We're not thankful because we continue to want more and more and more. G.K. Chesterton said, the aim of life is appreciation. There is no sense in not appreciating things and there's no sense of having more of them if you have less appreciation of them. The aim of life is appreciation. There's no sense in not appreciating things and there's no sense in having more of them if you have less appreciation of them. You might consider this, by the way, parenthetically, if, uh, you know, if, why should God answer the prayer that you're asking him right now, asking him for right now? When you're asking him to provide you something, okay, more of something, if he gives you that, um, are you going to be more appreciative or less appreciative? In other words, is it actually good for you to have it? Or, or is, uh, is this statement true? Now, what's the sense of having more things if I'm less appreciative of them? Ingratitude. Ingratitude is one of the weeds that grows up around prosperity. 
So in the soil where prosperity grows, ingratitude is one of the weeds that just flourishes there. Now, some people are better than others at weed control. Right? So does, does that mean that prosperity is a bad thing? No. It means ingratitude's a bad thing. Uh, but it means that everybody is going to have those weeds growing um, as they prosper. Uh, some people are going to be better at culling out the weeds. It's, this is one of those cases uh, where, to, to be kind of cliche, the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. So the issue is not my spending. Um, it's not my material possessions or so forth. It's not the car or the boat or the whatever the thing is. The issue is the pleasure that I seek in those things. And I need to guard my heart against the pursuit of that kind of pleasure. You know, our, our uh, catechism, Westminster Catechism says the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Enjoy him. John Piper sort of took that and in a book that he wrote 20 some years ago said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. When rather than seeking satisfaction elsewhere, we seek it and find it in him. And the primary way we guard ourselves against the pleasures of prosperity is exactly that. That we seek satisfaction in him. That we enjoy him forever. Well, third, uh, we not only guard ourselves against the pleasures of prosperity, but we need to guard yourself against the pride of prosperity. Let's look again at verses 12 through 17 here. Uh, and I want to I read all of those with this in view, looking at the pride that arises in the context of prosperity. So uh, in verse 12, it says, Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Let me pause right there where my translation said, then your heart be lifted up in the New American Standard in the NIV, I believe it says, and your heart become proud. In verse 15, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you out of the water of the, um, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth that he may confirm his covenant." When there's an immediate awareness of the uh, involvement of God in our affairs, uh, his benevolence, his provision, and so forth, 
that awareness is accompanied by a sense of gratitude. So if we, if we looked up at verse 10, we would see after he said, I'm going to give you this land, it's, it's flowing with rivers and streams, it's fruitful, it's got valuable metals in the ground, you don't even know they're valuable yet. He's telling him all this, this is what I'm going to give you. And he says in verse 10, and you shall eat and be full and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he's given you. So when we have an immediate awareness of his involvement, his provision, his benevolence and so forth, it's accompanied by a sense of gratitude. But then living in abundance can detach us from our sense of need. And when we don't think we're in need, we're completely oblivious to the fact that God is meeting our needs. Does that make sense? I mean, why would I be conscious of God meeting a need that I don't even realize I have? And abundance can detach me from my sense of need. If I'm in the wilderness, so to speak, and he's allowing me to hunger and he's providing manna, I'm really conscious of my need and his provision for it every single day. If we live in abundance, when we get to the place where my, my herds multiply and my silver and gold multiplies and everything I have just multiplies, it becomes this sort of self-perpetuating uh, provision that God has made for me. I become detached from my sense of need and begin to become thankless. When things go from bad to good, we tend to be thankful. Okay, so from wilderness to this good land, when, thing, when circumstances go from bad to good, we tend to be thankful. When things go from good to better, we tend to be boastful. And that's really what verses 17 and 18 are getting at. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and my might have gotten me this wealth. Um, in, our, in the Westminster Confession, uh, our uh, statement there on providence says, God who, created every, God who created everything also upholds everything. He is the first cause. However, he orders things to happen from secondary causes. Now, let me unpack this just a minute. In fact, I'll use Matt's uh, reference to Joshua and Jericho as an example. God said, I have given you the land. Now take the land. Or in that case, it was the city of Jericho. But he said it all through the book of um, uh, Joshua. He says it through the book of Deuteronomy. I have given you this land. Now take it. So God is the primary cause by his providence. He is causing the land to change hands and to belong to Israel. But he orders that that happens through secondary causes i.e. people like Joshua as the leader, people like the army of the Israelites. Those are secondary causes. You tracking with me there? Again, after three days of turkey and lights down, I'm like, I'm, I don't want to be too ambitious talking about these ideas. But the reason I mention is that with respect to your achievements and your attainments in this life, you are at best a secondary cause. And that is not insulting, by the way. That is good news. Your talent, your hard work, and ingenuity are important. The application of them or the lack of application of them will make the difference one way or the other. But they are at best secondary causes. Our prosperity, our increase of any kind 
is given by his hand and it's intended to serve his purpose, as he says here in verse 18, to confirm his covenant. So when we boast about our achievements, when we boast about our uh, wealth, our accomplishments of whatever sort, we are misdirecting those things to our own purposes instead of his, misdirecting glory to us instead of him. Guard yourself against the pride of prosperity, against the pleasure of prosperity, and remind yourself of his faithfulness in the past. We, we live in what has surely been the most prosperous time in our nation's history. I mean, probably, I mean, even for, for folks my age, I mean, we just don't know what difficult really looks like. We live in the most prosperous time in our nation's history. And I'm not sure on balance whether we're better off for it or not. Um, but at times we have been caught up by the pursuit of our own pleasure and the inflation of our own pride. I will say again, as just sort of a parenthetical statement, I think the church um, at large bears the marks of this in ways that are probably a source of unhealthiness for us. Affluence and celebrity. The, the church of Jesus Christ has never done well with um, affluence and fame and power. They, they tend not to mix well. Yet their blessings from God, they, they, are, they are not inherently bad. But our pattern is not to manage them well, not to take care, not to forget the Lord in them. Uh, consider the request here of the, the writer of Proverbs 30 makes. In Proverbs 30, uh, verses 8 and 9, and I'm winding down here, I promise. He says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Give me neither poverty nor riches, he said. Now, truth be told, you and I might not want to make that request for ourselves. But we do need to set some reminders around us. We need to set some regulators um, on our spending, our longings, and our, the, our pursuit of pleasures. This is a case where you have to know yourself. You really have to know yourself and regulate yourself accordingly. But if you've crossed those lines before, if you've reached the limits before, if you've gotten to the point beyond which it was unhealthy for you to have more of something, to pursue more of something, whatever the something is, if you've, if you've tested that limit for yourself and you know where it is, you need to draw the line for yourself. You need to set your own regulators so that you don't end up uh, pursuing things that are gonna take you aware of God because despite our tireless pursuits, we will never actually catch up to them. It is just, this is like a sinister part of the fallen world we live in. Those attractive things that we, that we long for, that we pursue, that at times people will pour their whole lives into getting, they never actually catch up with them. Money makes wings and flies away. 
the proverb says. We never catch up to him, but in the process, we may leave and forsake and forget the one who gives us all good things and in whom we can only find ultimate satisfaction. God is good all the time, right? We know it and we could give testimony to it. We have just spent time we've set aside thanking him for it, but we need to take care not to forget the Lord our God. Let's pray together. Well, Lord, you are great and you are good. We, we could spend time today sharing in specific ways how you have provided for us. Some of us have more uh, vivid examples than others of how we've had deep and desperate need that you have provided for in an almost miraculous way, inexplicable ways, Lord, that you have been faithful, you've taken care of us. But we know too, Lord, in the seasons of plenty that we're apt to get ourselves wrapped up in the pleasure of plenty and forget you. And, and, and perhaps this is why Paul himself, when he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, he was speaking of that he had reached the point where he could, he knew how to suffer lack and how to abound. He knew how to have plenty and how to be in need. He could do all things through Christ. So Lord, would you just show us ourselves in light of this scripture, show us those things that captivate our attention and stimulate the longings of our heart and our flesh and that would just cause us to pursue them with gusto. Lord, would you show us those things about ourselves to regulate us accordingly, Lord, so that we would not forget the one who is the source of all good things. We praise you, our God, Lord. We thank you. We pray you would continue to provide and bless. We receive the word, Lord, that you have plans to bless and to prosper this church. And Lord, as you do and when you do, uh, would you be sure that we have um, stakes in the ground we can look back on and remember when we hungered and when you provided from the uh, darker and more desperate shadowed places that you brought us out of uh, and into a flourishing and prosperous place. But we believe that and receive it from you, Lord. And God, would you just keep us ever mindful of your goodness and grace to us. In Jesus' name, amen.